Welcome to Save Brave Stories, a podcast to encourage each of us to unlock and release our potential through enabling safe, brave spaces. My name is Greg Smith. My name is Ola Adibayo, and we are your hosts for today's dialogue. Hey, oh, hi, how are you? Good morning. Good, mo good morning. Um, afternoon here in Nigeria. I'm Bidemi Ola Adikoko. We are so great to, we're so excited to have you here this morning to chat. We just had a great setup meeting before our podcast here today to get to know each other a little bit more. Of course, Ola, uh, you guys know each other for a long time and we did hear lots of stories. So I'm going to have conversations with BC and, uh, and confirm all those stories. But it was, uh, it's so awesome to meet you and have a wonderful conversation today. And just uh, before we get started, I'm going to give a little bit of context around this podcast, why we're here, why it started, and what we do, and then I'll turn it over to Ola to get us started into this rich conversation I know we're going to have. So uh, our, the idea of this podcast it really came from a book that I wrote called In Search of Safe Brave Spaces, A Guide to Unlock and Release Potential. And in it, I discovered that the moments of most meaning and impact were ones in which I felt both safe and brave. And when, when I talk about safe, I talk about a time when I felt really uh, uh, just that I understood myself and valued who I was, had confidence and recognized my unique contribution to the world and to others. And I felt brave when I discovered and activated my voice, my courage, my curiosity, and, and when I had the opportunity to do that, I then stood for what I believed in more and also supported others in doing it for themselves. And so in this really interesting interconnection between safe and brave, special things started to happen. And, and uh, so I wrote this book describing some of my pathway. And then as I began talking to others, uh, as a result of the book, I discovered others had similar stories and situations in which they discovered moments of safe and brave. And from those moments, we're able to do really wonderful things, giving back to the world and also strengthening their impact. And so this is why we started this. And Ola and I had conversations and we, we said, you know what, we should talk to others and share their stories, learn from their ideas. And, and that will be then helping the conversation of safe, brave spaces even accelerate and hopefully give uh, energy to those beginning the Safe Brave journey. And so that's why we're here today. And we have a good podcast today. We are so excited. Coming live from Nigeria, Lagos Island, which I hear is the nice part of uh, Lagos. Uh, we had an earlier conversation about that. So they're both nice, the <laughs> island and the mainland. I'm not going to go on one side or another because Ola lived on the mainland. Um, but then we lived on the island. Well, that's a whole different story, a different podcast. So we're not going to go there. But I am going to turn it over to Ola to give us a bit of a bio and then get us started. So over to you, Ola. All right. Thank you, Greg. Uh, so excited to do this uh, with my friend, longtime friend. Um, so BDME Oladipupo is a co-founder uh, at the Anchor Heritage Initiative. Um, BDME oversees the operational activities of the organization, and their focus is uh, basically to give legal aid to the less privileged who have been unjustly incarcerated. Uh, they empower them with valuable skills needed to thrive in the society and an aftercare follow-up, you know, the, the, the mentor, uh, like a mentoring initiative uh, 
when uh, the inmates are released, uh, that's those, those who have spent some time in the prison. Uh, is passion for service, that's BDM's passion for service, love for mankind, and concern for humanity has been the driving force behind the establishment and success stories of uh, the organization, talking about Anchor Heritage. BDM actually started his working career as an accountant uh, in Nigeria and then moved into the banking industry. Uh, he, he was with the First City Monument Bank initially as a funds transfer and clearing officer. And then he moved to the corporate audit unit as a head, at the head office of the bank. Um, BDM was in the banking industry for an upward of about 10 years before he yielded the call for service uh, and founded Anchor Heritage. Today he's doing what he's passionate about and contributing to the re-engineering of processes that seems to have failed. Talking about the uh, criminal justice system in Nigeria. Aside from his passion for service and humanity, Bidemi also loves listening to music. He loves driving. Oh, I can attest to the driving part. <laughs> he loves traveling and beautifying spaces and discovering new places. Welcome, Bidemi. <laughs> Thank you very much, Greg, for having me on Safe Brave Spaces. Thank you very much, Ola. I appreciate this um, opportunity of speaking to you over there in Canada. I'm live here in Lagos, Nigeria, and I don't take this for granted. I'm grateful. On behalf of Anchor Heritage and the Board of Directors, we're grateful for this privilege. That is awesome. We're also so glad to have you. Uh, Greg, do you want me to go ahead and take the first couple of questions? Yeah, why don't you do that, and then I'll dive in. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, BDM, you know, I've known you for almost two decades, and I have an idea of, uh, you know, earlier in the conversation before we started taping, you were talking about passion, and it's amazing that, you know, because we're going to have this podcast, I've been thinking about you and, you know, trying to trace our friendship, looking at you in different perspective, in class, when we're in the university, how people trusted you to talk to you for guidance, even as co-students. And I see the passion in which you treat their, uh, you know, take care of them, standing in between them and some of our lecturers and our professors. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how you nurtured even our friendship and all of that. And I I've seen that with you and all the stuff. And it, it got me to, you know, wanting to have asked this question about uh, these two words, maybe before now and not the words that you're totally used to safe and brave you know but I wanted to ask you you know based on who you are and your journey so far when you think about uh these uh, words say creating safe brave spaces what experience what resonates with you the most um thank you a lot for that question I was actually going to tell you I was actually trying to pass a comment to Greg and tell him thank you very much for the introduction of the Safe Brave Spaces. So um, I actually tried to read through your perspectives. Um, I didn't really get a full understanding until you did an intro now. But while doing the intro, I something just clicked on my mind and 
That was a question I was almost going to answer myself. Coincidentally, that is what Ola is asking me now. So for me, um, so far in the not-for-profit, I think we're, this is our fourth year. What I can, the way I can just tell you about safe, brave spaces, how I see it, is that, um, so the safe place is that place of that um, giving back to the society, trying to do something selfless from you. You know, um, it could not look so safe to you in the startup. It could not look safe because we are coming actually out of a comfort zone. So if I liken it to myself, I was in banking for like 15 years and um, that looks like a comfort zone to me. But when, after leaving banking now, I can tell you this is like a safe space. And um, why is it safe considering the challenges ahead? I look at it as a safe because we're giving back to the community and you actually need to be brave to be to able to do this safe thing. If you're not brave about it in the first place, you won't be able to create these safe spaces. So for me, I look at it that, thank God I was being brave about this assignment. And that is why I can create safe spaces for these inmates that are unjustly incarcerated, for the less privileged that have no legal aid. And um, for those that have even left the prisons and they want to do something, but they can't find a space. So because I could dare to be brave, now we can try to create safe spaces for them. And I think that's how I can liken it to my assignment. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I love that response. Um, uh, as you were talking, I was just imagining you and the activities. I've been to the prisons in Nigeria myself. I've, I've been to, I've, I've preached in the prisons in Nigeria. And of course, the prison I even preached was what I would call maybe a, a nice prison because it's in the federal capital, you know, where a lot of people who are probably influential spend time when they get into trouble. So I'm imagining how brave you needed to be. So I, I can, I have that mental picture, but I still want to, before we get into the, the nitty gritty of what you do in, at Anchor Heritage, I, I still want to talk to you personally. What would you say uh, contributed to how you were able to unlock and release your potential uh, even before you started doing this assignment, even from, you know, I, I gave a little bit of background into who you are, that it's not today that I've known you to be very passionate about um, uh, creating uh, an enabling environment for relationship to thrive and all that. Is there an experience that helped you to unlock uh, and release your potential to be able to do this? And I'll give you a very a, a good example. In Greg's book, for instance, Greg shared about um, how he was able to unlock some of those potential to be able to create safe brief spaces. Uh, you know, it's ex Greg's experience and mine are very similar. They were not uh, very palatable experiences. It was a bit of dark situations for me, particularly a dark situation, a very deep dark situation opened my eyes. And that was how my journey towards um, um, exploring these movement and idea of safe brief spaces. So is there a particular experience that helped you to uh, unlock I have an idea of an experience, especially okay. with regards to uh, how you started this. And it's a story I would love you to share, if you don't mind. 
Okay, yeah. Um, so really, even before this assignment started, um, you know, there are two there are two angles to there are two angles to how this started. I may not be so sure um, of the one you're talking about, but I would definitely let out the first one, I think. But even before this assignment started, I think one thing that resonates so much with me, which Ola mentioned um, even while back we were in the university, I just love to help people and I love to see people smile. Now, um, it got to a point where it seems like I could even just let off the price of me not being so fine with myself, but I just want to see that the other person is fine. And that goes back to Ola mentioning that even while we were in the university, people could ask me for advices, people could trust in me. And I think that is what was um, a reflection even after years of university when I started working in the bank. It's just always, I just have a, a thirst to see people being helped. Um, but really, if I would just tie it up to Uncle Heritage assignment, I will be able to say some um, 16, 17 years ago, my friends then, my present wife now, she served in the Legal Aid Council of Nigeria in Makodi. And um, the Legal Aid Council of Nigeria is actually the outfit responsible for helping inmates that don't have legal representation. They don't have money, they don't have the resources. They are less privileged and they are in incarceration. So that's actually the institution that is supposed to help the less privileged. But as you know, um, they are overwhelmed. The cases, demand is definitely more than supply. So the people that need this legal aid are definitely outnumbered the numbers of lawyers that are available. So one of those times while I went to visit my um, fiance then, she, we had a privilege to go to the Makodi prisons together and hola, we met this guy who was supposed to be on his um, way to Abuja, but he boarded a wrong bus. And in the bus, um, just some, like an hour into the journey, there was a checkpoint. And while the checkpoint, um, the search was going on, it was realized that he was in a gang of armed robbers. And he was just going comfortably back to his school in the Abuja. But unfortunately, he was arrested alongside and we met him in the prison. Now, everything almost clearly indicated to Russ when we met him and were speaking to him that he was quite innocent, you know, until proven guilty anyway. Uh, every other person that is incarcerated is a suspect. And they, for here, we say, we say they are awaiting trial. But, you know, I could remember very well that at a point in time while he was sharing his stories, I wept because um, I just felt... This is a life being truncated. He had spent three years plus in the prison, all because he entered a bus and he was trying to get back to school. And so in my mind, I asked the question, do you mean there are many people like this suffering from the same situation? Do you mean, okay, so I'm just in Benue, um, Benue State, Makodi. So how do I know what is happening in the 36 states of the Federation? So that means there are people suffering away like this. And that actually gave me an indication that BDME, you can help.
And that was a wow moment for me that cost about a reminder in my system at every point in time, even while I continued in my career, it always came back to me that there are some people suffering away every day, every year, unjustly in the prison system, now called correctional centers in Nigeria. I don't know if um, I answered that well, Ola, uh, if that's the... Yeah, I think that was apt. And I don't know, Greg, if you want to jump in at this. That's an amazing uh, yeah. story. Yeah. Oh, I do. I do. And so, so I, first of all, I loved your description at the beginning around, you know, because some people say, where does it start? Does it start? I have to be safe before I can be brave. Do I need to be brave before I can be safe? And the thing is, both are true. And, and I loved your story that you were like in a comfortable bank job. Sounds like your fiance and your, and your wife there, she was also pretty successful. So you're pretty safe in, in, in a financial worldly way. And then you have this experience, your heart is moved and you choose to start on this pathway. So I'm curious, like what, what, um, what was who and what was behind you now leaving from that moment of meeting this person that you're moved by to beginning a journey of deciding to do something about because you know there's lots of us that have have experienced things and feel sad and feel shocked and maybe even a little moved to justice but most of us will be not brave enough to say I want to do something about it so I just love how did you go from uh, okay. Uh, that okay greg um i think really looking at it um so from the time of this uh, i think this was around 2005 and um from that time to i say 2011 i had almost um forgotten about what i encountered in benway sincerely but in 2011 i had an accident I had an accident, the car I was driving um, actually had some assaulted three times. And when the car finally stopped, it was on fire. And somehow I came out of the car on hot. And for me, that was, okay, so that was the second moment that got me thinking. The car burns completely four minutes after I came out. And for me, it, it, it really created a vacuum in my heart that that means there is more to why I lived and survived the accident um, more than just um, living as a father of two kids and a husband to a woman, you know. So I, I, I questioned and that got me thinking more before I got to that junction where I left in Benway. It was six years after but the accident actually created so much um, thoughts in my heart and I was able to answer myself that there must definitely be more lives attached to me than just what I'm saying. And so in my quest for that, that's where I got back to the legal aid idea, then we started working on it. And I think for me, I just realized if I didn't die in the accident, that was what created my brave act. If I didn't die in the accident, then I'm not sure what else will kill me. I and mean, then let me just go on with this assignment. 
And for me, that was just like the, what created the brave moment. And then we started the incorporation of Anchor Heritage. It wasn't easy leaving my comfortable space, my banking space. I mean, because I was a manager and, um, you know, if you live in Lagos, you understand what it means to work five, 10 minutes away from your house. At times I, I just take a stroll to my office. But I wasn't under pressure, but I had to just give in an answer to this call, this service to humanity. Because anytime I recall um, the accident again, then I realized that there is something attached to me and there are lives attached to me. So somehow I tried to tell myself to drop the pen in June 2017 from the bank and we started Uncle Heritage Assignment. Wow. Like um, when Ola was introducing, he says I'm the co-founder. Um, so we started this initiative out, myself and my wife, Mrs. Loladi Oladi Popo. So we started together, but presently now at least we have like four members on the board of directors of Uncle Heritage. And that's how I got into this brief space. Wow. I love that. I love that story because in my book, actually, I talk about two or three times in my life where I shouldn't be here. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, everybody has a different spiritual background and experience. I, you know, I have my background is Christianity. I have a, I have a, that's my background, but it's like, you know, I've always believed since I was young that I'm here for a purpose. And I read something recently where one in 400 trillion is the percentage that you were born something crazy like that and so that tells me there's a reason i'm here but how interesting it is that even when we have these big moments that it takes sometimes two or three times it's like this little nudge that says hey 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 yeah you remember what you saw you gotta right. you gotta do something there you do something to do it and and how we get busy and we get locked into stuff and and that type of thing so it, it that's that's i love that story that is so beautiful now now um was were there times in your life that because we often talk about moments where others around us have made us have created a space for us to be both safe and brave, to believe in ourselves and going forward. What were your experiences growing up? Where did you have uh, those experiences or was it in meeting your wife or those, like what were those moments that really, you know, when you have that place where you just feel confident, you're supported um, or have you always been the way you are that Ola's described? Okay, um, yes, I could say, um... I've been like this, but um, also I have friends that believe in what I can do. Mm. They believe so much in what I can do. And while this assignment was about to start, for everyone that like I spoke to that I was trying to quit my career and start this not-for-profit, they will first have a doubt. But at the end of the day, it will be like, well, it's you, Bidemi. Whatever you believe in, I'm very sure it would work. Mm. But even though I, I had to pen down like 10 people quite important and close to me before I made this move. And I tell you sincerely, only three out of the 10 supported where, um, me exiting the bank for this um, assignment. But um, the booster was because for those that supported, they says, I believe in you and I'm sure you can do it. 
And um, Ola is also one of the people I spoke to before we started Anchor Heritage. And what he says is, Bidemi, I know. I know you can do it. And I tell you sincerely, um, even while I dropped my resignation in the bank, I was invited by the executive director to know why I'm dropping. And I just told her, when I get out of the space of the banking industry and I start what I want to start, I'll let you know, because I actually didn't want any discouragements. You understand? Mm -hmm. So really, um, for those that believe in me, they, they gave me that backing and say, it's beating me, I'm sure. Um, you have it and you can do it. And also I made people understand that I wanted to um, ensure that we start an NGO in Nigeria that will be of a different species and a different give back because it is it's unfortunate that in the system we find ourselves, NGOs have almost been characterized into um, organizations that just get money and don't do the assignments. They just use it for to raise money and then it ends up being for selfish reasons. But you know, um, thankfully because of where I'm coming from, like I told you, at least I was opportune to be a manager for some couple of five to seven years in the banking industry. So it's also has been like a tick, a check on my integrity. So people could also just uh, say, oh, be me, if it's you, you know, and um, we're still on that journey to create a brand Mm. that will deliver and be able to give a feedback that we can as well get NGOs in Nigeria that will have that integrity base and will deliver what we have been set to do, vision, mission, without missing it out and not getting too greedy about resources and getting selfish. Mm. So at the base rock, at Anchor Heritage, we just want it to be, you know, top-notch that we are selfless. It's not about ourselves. It's about the prisons. About, it's about the inmates' welfare. It's about the less privileged. And anytime I think of that, the passion in me makes me brave. And it gives me that courage that we can get it done. And then we'll move on. Wow, that's great. That's Greg, great. Greg, I don't know. I got to follow up on your question with, um, to the, your last question to beat Amy. Because there's, uh, there's a little bit of, um, I, I, I'm not sure this is the right word, a little bit of um, disjoint kind of thing, let me, let me sort of say. Bidemi, I've always known you to be, I always looked up to you like you were so bold, before, even before the, you started Anchor Heritage, you were so bold, you had this, this when we we're younger, you know, still in school, you had this um, way of, you know, going after stuffs and getting it done with such a boldness that didn't look particularly like what a, a young guy would do. You had this braveness. You've always had this bravery, you know, that I see. And you've always undertaken businesses. I remember you once linked me up. That was the first time I was ever going to do a business in school to make money you linked me up with another friend of hers who gave me a contract to do a business and i make money in school and that's how i remember you being brave being bold doing things that uh young people where we grew up from would not normally do you always had this way in which you 
you you had a, you you had an idea and you almost have a ready execution of the plan and i'm thinking you were not you you didn't you were not in banking at that time and there's something i really want to get from guest question how did you grow up to be that brave um well um really okay so how did i grow up to be this brave sincerely um i'm the only son of a family of five um, I'll be happy to answer that question, Ola, because I think um, we've never gone to that end. I exactly. Know, That's I what I thought. That we've never talked the, yeah, on that I side. Yeah. <laughs> everything you said is definitely in the assertive. I, I, I go for it. I face it, you know. But I think the, what really characterized this is um, I'm the only boy in the family of five. I'm the last born. And um, so... I think my dad, um, of blessed memories, is late now. And um, when I finally came as the last born, he was being too, he, he tried to be very, very, very protective of me so I don't get spoiled as the only son and the last born. So he did so much to make sure I don't come out to be a mommy's boy. I started, um, I started my primary school um, at age six in Burden. So I was in a Burden school. So I did my primary from Burden. And I was, you know, so he detached me from home. And when I finished and when I go on holidays, I only go for, you know, terminal holidays. I'm back to the Burden school, you know. Um, in those days, Ola, I'm sure you will understand that you will only go to a secondary school to, I, I hope Greg understands when I say boarding school, mm -hmm. that means we're permanently in the school. But my dad took me there as early as six years old. So through the primary school, I was in boarding and that also already gave me like a, a prep up, like I'm in this life alone and I have to face it. He was building me so that I don't grow among the women, you know, and so after, primary school definitely secondary he threw me like um we were then living in the north he threw me to the south to go for secondary school and for secondary school i'll go and um i may only come back for holidays at the end of the session holiday Whoa. i don't come back home every time so daddy made it you know it was almost like i was facing life early enough and um i had to just know that Life is not a bed of roses, like he told me. Mm -hmm. And um, quick story I'll remember is when I finished my SS3, my YEC, senior YEC examinations, my results were withheld. Actually, my results were withheld because I did very well. And um, probably they just felt, how did I get that result? Because I was quite nutty in the secondary school. Um, so my results were withheld and my dad felt it was because I failed my results were withheld and... Um, one morning like that, he comes into my room and he woke me up around 5 a.m. And then he takes me to the car park where then we were living in a bedroom. And then he takes me to the car park and says, I should go back to Kaduna. I'll rewrite the WAIC exam. Now, WAIC is like uh, the, your fi final high school exams. Yeah, final yeah. high school exams. That I should go back, rewrite it. And this is a place that I think I left while I was 11 years old. That was my last time of getting there. And he just left me in the bus and says, I should find my way. Whoa. That's like um, 14 hours away from Ibadan. 
I got into the city of Kaduna much later in the evening. And so, you know, when I look at stories like that, I just, I feel that is what will account for you and I know Ola as well in my university, at the end of the university days, again, my results were with, uh, I wasn't um, taken for NYSE in the batch that we were supposed to go for. I, I was delayed because I didn't follow that first batch. That also helped me because my dad felt, oh, why are you out of everyone that graduated? Well, you know, we were 600 plus in the class. <laughs> so my name was um, um, tabled for the next batch, but I couldn't make that batch. And that also helped me. At that time out, I just went for my master's. I just got my results because I had results. It's just that. So I just went for my master's. So I think um, what really just gave me this brave um, edge is because I grew up knowing that I needed to face life as a, uh, myself and um, hit it. If not, no one will help me eat it. And I think mm -hmm. that's what is accounting for me today. And um, probably that's why I can do this prison assignment. Well, what, what a lot, great story. Like, oh my goodness. And, you know, it's interesting that sometimes out of, um, could, could people could say, wow, challenging, age six, go to boarding school, you know, and, and you don't know the heart of someone is how do I, how do I ensure my son's successful? How do I push that, that my son to be as successful as possible? But boy, not easy going forward. But how did you then, because you seem like a very loving compassionate person so one avenue of that could be very driven i'm on my own i got to do everything myself because i'm there so that's that's one kind of stage that you, where you could but you seem fairly rounded were there uh, were there other, another experience that allows you your compassion where does that come from because uh, you know many people gone down the pathway that you talked about can be very so driven to it's just about me to be because I to survive um but you seem to have this other balance what's the other half of the story or is there another half of the story Greg if I didn't know we were connected before now I know because this question you just asked was exactly how it played out in my mind ha <laughs> so, so Greg I tell you sincerely the other half of me was built out of a deliberate act. Mm. I actually wish my son was somewhere around here, but I'll make sure he listens to this tape. The other half of that, that side that you say, uh, it seems compassionate, it seems all loving, it seems uh, I love my family, I'm a family man, and all that, I love to give back, I love to show love to people, is a deliberate action, is a deliberate part of me, because, um, I tell you sincerely, I grew up asking some questions at times like, okay, maybe one day my, my dad will return me to my original father. So it, it, it got to a point where I feel you don't need to be this tough to mm. teach me because I'm the only son. Mm. You understand? It mm. got to that point. And um, well, back in Nigeria and from the home I came from, uh, my dad was like the chief C and C. So mommy had um, little things she could um, do to unturn the rule of daddy. You understand? Mm -hmm. But um, 
growing up, when I finally got to the university and when I started actually playing out how I want my own life to be, I made some deliberate efforts and made some decisions to myself that, no, this is not going to happen. So presently, I make sure, especially for like me and my son, I create, I've made sure I'm able to build a love, a relationship, a friendship between me and my daughter. I make sure I've been able to build a relationship. And I think um, that also reaches out. Now, don't let us get it twisted. My father was a disciplinarian, but he, he, he loves to give back. He was just... He loves humanity. He loves to help people. He loves to give. So I can tell you practically, I picked that from him. Mm. So, I, I mean, at times I'm, I'm like asking myself, I hope he won't finally pluck out his eyes and give it out, you know? So he was like that. So that giving part, that loving, that humanity, give back, I picked it from him. But, you know, I think he locked that part for me so I'll be a better person. Mm. And um, it's growing up, it somehow affected me because I started, like I told you, from primary school. So I didn't really get that parental love and attention and all that. But when I got to the university, growing up, I just knew this is how I wanted it. And thankfully, like we both said before the taping started, I will definitely not be here if I didn't marry my wife today. Um, she also proved to me that love can be interesting, marriage can be wonderful, and I can be a better person. So, um, Greg, you know, you say you will be dead by now. <laughs> you did it. And all those things, you will be lost by now. But I tell you sincerely, by now, I will definitely not be married if I... I didn't choose Loladi or Ladi Kobo. So I think that's just um, about it. I think that answers the loving. And yes. Love. So this podcast is, is, uh, is uh, honoring uh, all of our wives who have, uh, who have somehow uh, were connected to us and saved us all. So uh, we, we talked about that before, which is maybe such a beautiful story. And, you know, like there's a, there's a very famous book um, by a gentleman by the name of uh, Victor Frankl. Uh, man's search for meaning it's a it's it's an old book and it's uh it's he was in the concentration camps in uh in um in the in uh, in germany and he talks about um the power of choice that um uh circumstances will hit us um things occur to us but what we choose to do with the information the things that happen to us is what is most powerful. And I really uh, appreciate your story of, you know, both what you took, the positives from your father, and then also the choices that you chose to make. Um, and we have these choices, but boy, oh boy, that takes courage, that takes um, bravery. Um, and uh, um, such, I'm glad, thank you for sharing the other half of uh, that story. Um, uh, and I think you're, you're right, we're all on a journey and boy, uh, some beautiful, having those people around us, whether they're our wives or our friends that will come alongside of us, that encourage us, that can challenge us, that can hold us, you know, are, are just so beautiful uh, to have those. So that is so cool. Uh, I have one more question, then I can turn it over to back over to Ola. But that is, 
You know, I'm really curious, uh, you know, the work that you're doing is so powerful. So going into the prisons, uh, helping these folks get support um, through, uh, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our prison system is better, but there are still gaps. And, you know, your experience of not having enough lawyers, not being representative as much, um, um, but even being in, so going into the jails and, and working with folks and not only while they're there and helping them find their pathway in the jail, uh, but also after the jail, the work that you're doing is so amazing and so important in, I mean, over in North America, we've heard about, you know, the squads, um, you know, uh, picking up people on the side of the road. And even, you know, here people get arrested without representation. Um, and uh, so the work is uh, uh, just amazing. And what I'm really curious about is, I read an article last night about um, Nigeria is in a state, a very challenging state, this amazing country with a beautiful history, knowledge and success. There's so much happening right now. You know, you've got COVID, you've got insurgents in the, in the North, you've got successionists, you've got uh, bandits in certain areas and that like really um, beautiful people and, and history and culture. But right now there's so much that's happening. And I, I'm, I'm so curious of the beautiful work that you're doing how can you continue? What are you doing both in yourself, but also in your work to remain safe and brave and continue to move forward in this very complex time? Well, um, thank you, Greg, for that question. Um, quick one, I remember like two, three years ago, I was speaking to someone about Anchor Heritage and then they asked me, you're doing a non-for-profit. Uh, around that time in Nigeria, we were, we were actually trying to get out of recession. And then it says you leave your commercial um, banking job and then you go into a not-for-profit at this time. So in a situation where the resources stop, what will keep you going? I really didn't know he was trying to test me because he's a senior um, colleague. But I just answered him and I said, my belief for the assignment, the passion and the love I have to give back will keep me going. Um, I think that question was actually a preparation for COVID for me. So mm -hmm. when we got into COVID last year, I realized that this question that was asked of me some two years back was actually a preparation. And then reality came in because um, the economic situation of Nigeria is quite worrisome now. At a point in time towards um, the beginning of the year, we had to actually creep back into recession. Um, the dollar rate is above 500 Naira now, so importation is high. Um, rate of living is doubled. And then it's, it's quite... Um, is the survival of the fittest. So even corporate bodies that used to give us help and support what we do are trying to survive. Some are even, you know, downsizing their employees to survive because the COVID effects really went very far. So this is actually not the time for a not-for-profit to be thriving. Much apart from that, we even have a situation, I tell you sincerely, Last year, we joined a body called the Premium for NGOs uh, in the US, uh, Funds for NGOs. So we were a premium member, Fund for NGOs. 
And then, you know, so grants pass by. And I can tell you grants can pass by in a month or two and we will not see anyone related to the prisons. So why I'm trying to tell you that is even before COVID, you know, there is a mentality, there was a set mind that everybody in the prisons are actually justified to be there. But I'm always first to tell people that it's not all inmates that are criminals. Some are actually not supposed to be there. And peradventure, they are there. They will come back to the society. You understand? So we've actually not been able to have enough support now that COVID has even crept in, now that so many things have happened. But really what is keeping us going now is that courage, that belief, that passion we have in the assignment. So even when we are unable to get enough resources to keep on, we are still keeping on by making sure that every fortnight we visit the prisons, we cancel them, we let them know that there is still hope. And I mean, that doesn't really need resources. It just needs our voices. It just needs us to get in transportation. And, you know, there was a, we had a 64 day strike in the judicial system in Nigeria. So it also delayed the court approach. The people are waiting trial. I tell you sincerely as that, as that um, the most recent report, 2019, we have like 75% awaiting trial mm. across the Nigerian correctional centers. So we really can't get back and just feel, okay, because the COVID has affected the system, because there's banditry, because there's kidnapping, we can't afford to get frustrated about the assignment. We just have to keep on moving, believing we will get more sponsors, more partners to do what we're doing. Because I mean, if we're talking about those reports, you're talking about there's banditry, there's kidnapping, there's crime. These people in the prisons will still come back to the society. So if Anchor Heritage relents on their efforts, then I mean, definitely, when those people come out, they will only increase the numbers of the reports mm -hmm. you're reading. So what keeps us going is the fact that we will still get there. We will still have it. We will still have, and you know, to every correctional center we enter, we just have that courage that if we are able to teach, if we are able to nurture, if we are able to correct them, like our system is not a correctional system, at least we should be able to get four out of every 10 to be a better person when they come out of the correctional centers. That's wow. the idea we have wow. in way. Well, that's great. And you know what? Um, there are tons of studies in an article I just read recently is the number one issue of crime is poverty. So if you if you can equip someone who's coming out of of incarceration and when when there are when there are programs that enable people to feel valued, to feel safe, to have that courage, to trust in themselves, to actually believe you know the same, your the work when when Ola was talking about uh, inviting you to be part of our podcast. I just thought you just create safe, brave spaces in each of those um, people that are incarcerated because they need to first feel heard, feel believed, have confidence in who they are, believe that someone's trusting in them, that that is there for them, and then as they come out, encourage them and support them to be brave to step into those things. So when we talk about safe, brave spaces, um, I just I just thought, boy, the work that you're doing 
is creating safe race spaces in some of the most difficult places in Nigeria. And, um, and, and the future requires more safe, brave spaces for people because then I have hope and I believe I can contribute into the future of Nigeria in this case versus uh, just trying to survive, uh, which, which never, never results in the, in the best of things. Yeah, Greg, I, I, I'll quickly like to mention that um, over here, um, it's like, I've been, I've, we place so much emphasis on our legal aid. Our legal aid is for those that are less privileged that can't afford to get the lawyers. But you know, in Anchor Heritage, we have three major pillars. So legal aid is just one of the pillars. The second pillar that's like our focus is empowerment. So we empower these inmates while they are there in preparation for being released into the society. We've been able to do this across seven correctional centers. Um, we've trained almost above 800 uh, inmates in readiness. Uh, the only reason why we stopped is because of the COVID. The mm -hmm. moment everything is relaxed and everything is fine now, we get back. So we're training them, empowering them with various skills, male correctional centers, female correctional centers. We are empowering them with skills so that, I mean, when they get back into the society, they are useful to themselves, they are useful to their families, and then they are useful to the society, you understand? And um, we also use that as a way of showing practical love to them because we believe love is like a therapy. If they feel loved while in incarceration, if they come back into the society, they will love every other person. They wouldn't come back with the mindsets that while they were in incarceration, they were just locked up there, you understand? So we use that empowerment as a correctional tool, as a therapy to help their mind for an emotional balance. And the last thing we do in Uncle Heritage is an aftercare. So presently now, I can tell you that we've been able to, under our umbrella, release 98 inmates. 98 inmates have so far been released. Our 40th anniversary will come up in October 2021. And... Um, Presently, I can also tell you we have like 38 inmates enjoying our aftercare initiative. The aftercare is the last pillar. That's the third pillar mm. of Anchor Heritage. So these inmates are back into the society. We make sure they find a safe, brave place to be nurtured, to mm. do something, to get their hands on something, you know, to start up something. I, 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 I don't know if time will permit or maybe in future dates I meant to say, I wouldn't mind if you want to feature one of this. I have a story of someone who has like spent like 14 years in incarceration, but presently is enjoying an aftercare initiative. He is a tailor. He does the money bank transfers. He's doing very well. And, um, He's now sending his daughter back to school. He's doing very well. So we have such stories in our aftercare. I won't be able to share all that. But I tell you sincerely, I can bring one or two of them on safe brief spaces to share the stories and where they are presently from incarceration to freedom. Wow. Wow. I love that. 
that full uh, holistic um, support of the legal, but the empowerment and the aftercare. And definitely, I know we're watching, I'm watching time here. We're probably coming close to the end, but maybe a part two, uh, you know, in this area. And, and what we'll definitely want to do is, um, is there a, a website that we uh, can add to our linkage or a place where people can find out more about the work you're doing? Yes, our website is on www.ancoheritage.org. But um, presently, we're doing some upgrades on it, so it's under construction. But um, for more information right now, you can always visit our Facebook page at Anchor Heritage Initiative. But I tell you, the website will definitely be up latest by the 1st of August. We should be done with our upgrade. Well, great, because this, this podcast will probably not go live until August, September, late August, early September, but kind of with our schedule. So that will be perfect. It will be up and going and we'll include the link. Okay, we would have it then. All right, I'm going to pass it over to you, Ola, to bring us home. Yeah, it's been an awesome uh, experience sharing uh, this platform and um, being sharing your stories, personal stories. Uh, and stories uh, on the work you're doing at Anchor Heritage. So, so touching stories. Yeah. And I'm glad you, 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 because what I was going to get you to talk about in closing was to talk about the success stories. And you took it right from me and, you know, went and, you know, gave a holistic uh, experience of once, what some of the success stories are. I want to say thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, Save Brave Stories podcast once again. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure listening to you and you know hearing the the great uh, work that you do. And um, now to our listeners, uh, thank you for always um, uh, listening to our podcast as we release them. We appreciate your time. Uh, we also sincerely hope that the stories we shared today have been very helpful and encouraging as you consider ways to enable safe spaces within yourself and for others. So if the idea of safe spaces resonates with you, please feel free to join the conversation. Hear other stories uh, on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, we're there. And also access resources. I tell you, there are tons of resources on the website, uh, savebravespaces.com that uh, will help you on your personal journey. Over to you, Greg. Yeah, no, uh, so awesome, so inspiring. Um, it, it lifts my heart and 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 strengthens my brave as I continue listening to your story. We're so grateful for spending the time together, and uh, we just uh, um, look forward to part two. I think we're gonna have a have to have a discussion part two, or or maybe having a a couples Zoom so we right. can see our uh, the real people behind <laughs> us that are. Uh, not necessarily taping, but just to connect. So uh, um, uh, it's been wonderful. It's just a super pleasure. And uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.